Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of Misaligned. Before we jump into our guest today, I want to remind you that Misaligned is part of the Modern Vinyl family of podcasts. You can find the episodes and the other podcasts at modern-vinyl.com. Personally, one of the ones I've been really enjoying is Pilot Study, which is Chris Lantinen and Grimes, not the singer, just another friend of Chris's, you know, contributor to Modern Vinyl, and they discuss pilot episodes of TV shows, and they stop there. They don't go any further into the series, so it's kind of an interesting take on a TV show podcast. Basically, they've done The O.C., Twilight Zone, and a bunch of other shows. They have their second season coming up this week, actually the day that you will be hopefully listening to this on the 7th, I believe, and it's definitely one I recommend you check out, especially if you're into, you know, pop culture, TV, that sort of thing, which I know we talk about once in a while on here. But moving on to our guest today, my friend Michael Rodino is here. Last minute podcast, so we are going to make the best of this. We do have topics planned out to discuss, so even though it's last minute, we still did a little bit of planning. But Mike, how are you doing today? Uh, not bad, not bad. It's a lovely day out, so... uh that helps. I was uh, dealing with traffic on the way back home, but um, other than that, everything's going pretty well. Nice. And for those of you who do not know either myself or Mike, we both attended Drexel together. We're a year apart, basically, although I did finish early, so not too, too far apart there. But Mike, I wanted to talk a bit today about you know why we both chose Drexel's music industry program and kind of how we thought that was the right place to go to help us kind of get our foot in the door with the music industry. So why don't you go ahead and start and tell us why you chose Drexel? God, I don't know if I'm the best contacts because I'm not really doing a lot of music stuff anymore, which is, you know, which is, it's just like good, bad advice. Um, Let's see. Uh, So I did, um, I had a, I have a very like I'm realizing the more I think about like how I started doing all this stuff, like the path was very odd. Um, when I was in high school, I wanted to go on a trip to this the summer camp thing to Iceland for documentary filmmaking. I don't think I've ever told you this story. Um, and I wanted to go to Iceland for this documentary filmmaking trip, but the only weeks I could go because they had like two sessions for it. The only weeks I could go, they didn't have enough people. To go. Um, right. So I didn't go. So instead, I went to a summer program at Brown um, University that was for audio recording. So I was like, I play guitar, I might as well go do that. Um, and I made a bunch of friends there. Um, and I had a really good friend of mine um, there. And I, you know, stayed close and ended up both applying to a bunch of music programs. Um, I kind of applied to Drexel on a whim. Like, I hadn't thought much of it when I was applying, um, like at the time I was just kind of like, it's another school. Right. Um, I was, partially at the time I was, I was, I was applying. I was also, um, I ran track in high school. So a lot of the stuff I was applying to was also, I was looking for program, the schools with good track programs. Um, so I applied to Drexel cause they had the program I was looking for, for music, but I kind of had already like pre-written them off cause they didn't have a track team. And then I got injured And I was still waiting on NYU, um, which was my first choice at the time. And I got the acceptance letter from Drexel. I got a good scholarship and a few other things went well in that process. And then I got rejected from NYU and I was injured and I was like, well, I guess I'm not running anymore. (laughs) And, And so I kind of like, I visited Drexel a few more times and I was like, oh, wow, this is actually really solid because I hadn't even visited the program. Right. Um, I just read about it and, you know, it was one of those things that the more I kind of visited, I was like, oh, I can go on co-ops and go to like actually have to do internships and I have to, there's studios and all this stuff. And, um, I mean, at the time I was more tech focused. Um, so the access to the studios was really great and it just kind of worked out. Um, I, I didn't, I got into a few other programs. I didn't get into NYU and a few other places like that. And then it just kind of, um, snowballed and, uh. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's kind of the path. Um, uh, the choice was kind of obvious. I don't know if there's really a better way to put it than that. Um, I don't want to like 
make it too fancy and sugarcoat it to like being like there was some magical moment and all of a sudden I knew because um, <laughs> there wasn't really that but yeah yeah I feel like I had a very similar situation minus the sports because I had stopped playing sports by my senior year of high school but my first choice was USC because mm -hmm. why not I mean I was well I still am a huge fan of USC football and as you and I both know, Drexel does not have a football team. That really no, bummed have, me we out. We have a football team. We have a football team. They just don't play football. Very true. <laughs> different different kind of football. <laughs> but, I mean, I applied to only eight or nine schools. And as I went to visit some of these schools, I went up to Cal State Sacramento, University of the Pacific. I visited Hofstra. And as I was visiting these schools, I was starting to realize that they're music-based programs weren't totally geared towards music industry. It's like they right. want you to audition with, with an instrument or sing or all these sorts of things that fell more on the performance side, which wasn't something I was good at or capable of, you know, doing at that time. So I didn't really want to go to those schools. So that immediately put about half of the schools on the back burner for me. And right. when I had gone to visit Hofstra, we, my mom and I also went down to Philly to visit Drexel. And after the general tour or whatever, I believe it was David Miller. Mm -hmm. I, I might be wrong about this. He had dreads at the time and then he shaved them off and it yeah. really confused me. So I believe that's who it was. He gave us our own little personal tour of the music industry facilities. And, you know, mm -hmm. after seeing the four or five recording studios they had at the time, whichever it was, and even though everything was in a basement with no windows at the time before, you know, we got our new fancy building, it still struck me as sort of the right fit for what exactly I was looking for. And as you know, Drexel has the tech program and the business program within the music industry and I knew from my senior internship in high school that I did not want to do the tech side of things it wasn't that I couldn't do the tech side of things it's just that I didn't think I had the patience to do those kind of things and I know that mm -hmm. you know with working at a recording studio not everyone gets normal hours no. I know friends who are up until you know, two, three, four, five in the morning recording bands. And I was like, I don't think that's going to work for me. You know, I have to be on a semi-normal schedule and function like a normal person. <laughs> and right. so then I went the business route because I believe it was my year was the year that they stopped doing the pre-law track. And I didn't want right. to go to law school anyway, but I did still end up getting a minor in legal studies just because law has always been something that interested me. I just didn't want to go to law school. So that seemed like the best option then at that point, since there was no pre-law track for music industry. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned, now I'm kind of just trying to do some freelance PR. And, you know, you said you're not even really doing anything music based. And while last year I was at a company called Music Reports, I wasn't really doing anything music based. I was staring at spreadsheets all day and putting the information yeah. into a database. So to me, hey, that don't wasn't hate on spreadsheets. really. Yeah, don't yeah, hate on spreadsheets. That's my life. <laughs> I know, but to me, it just wasn't music based enough for me. Right. And I was sitting there, you know, doing this for eight hours straight a day. Like I didn't have any other task. And at this company, you know, they were a great company, great first job out of college, you know. But I feel like anyone who had an office had been there for years and years and years and they were not leaving. So it's like if you had that entry level position, you would just stay there right. for however many years you were there. There was someone who sat near me. He had been there for at least five years, I think, and was doing the same thing. Yeah. And it's like, that's not what I was looking for, you know? So thankfully, as many of the listeners already know, my parents let me move back home and now I'm kind of just trying to figure things out. I know you and I have talked about this before too. And you mentioned, you know, doing simple things like getting SEO certification and that sort of stuff, which I still haven't done. So you'll have to remind me of where to do that yeah. again. Yeah. But what do you think kind of drew you to Philadelphia? Was it just Drexel's program alone? Or did you know more about the city when you went there? 
I, I don't I didn't know too much about Philly. Um, I don't think I ever visited Philly as a kid, but I I, I don't I don't know. Um, I think it just kind of. I think I had my one or two visits. I think I had two visits. One of the times I was completely hopped up on painkillers after a wisdom tooth surgery. Um, <laughs> so I may have some kind of like weird, you know, drug induced haze that I was like making my decisions off of. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think it was partially that I was excited about the program. Um, the city seemed, you know, to do the job for me. I, at the time, I kind of really wanted a city school, but I wasn't in total, you know, I was leaning more towards that. Um, you know, I, I come from a pretty small town um, in Connecticut, and um, I just kind of wanted to be in more of a city place. It's where I'm, I've been com more comfortable in my life. And uh, yeah, I, I think that there were, the real appeal for me at the time was um, I was still doing a lot of tech stuff when I first, you know, came to college. And so they were the program that was offering the most studio time, the most studio access outside of classwork. Um, and that was really the appeal because I, I knew that even if I didn't go full tilt on the tech stuff and started recording, I could still do it. Like I could still get studio time. And I got, I think within the first two weeks at school, I got access to like two of the studios. Right. Um, because I was I was already working on something from a band I had recorded at home, and I was like finishing up mixing and mastering that, and a few other things like that. That you know, and I think it was just it was there was that appeal there. There was that kind of like instantaneous appeal of going, I'm going to show up here and have access to really great facilities on day one, and that kind of like you know that kind of signs the check in a sense. Like you know, I know that day one I'm going to get use out of it. I'm not going to be waiting to you know try to have some value. Right. Um, so I think that was a big part of it at the time. Yeah. And with me, I obviously did not get into USC. It was the only rejection letter I got, actually. And that kind of solidified Drexel being the best option. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to move to Philadelphia, you know, because Southern California and Philadelphia are very, very different places. Very different. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I mean, you were at least accustomed to east coast weather and that sort of thing and then i was like coming here from sunny california where we pretty much only get rain on my birthday yeah <laughs> so it was completely different and it was a very different experience because you know i didn't take my car there i'm used to driving everywhere i went right. to high school about 12 miles from my house which most mm -hmm. people are like why would why would you do that i was like i don't know i went to a really nerdy high school so we had to get up and be in class by like seven in the morning and everyone's like well, what did you do <laughs> you know <laughs> and drexel was just a complete change from that and i mean even when i had started high school that was a complete change from my situation before because I had gone to private school right. for the 10 years leading up to that. So it's like I went from a class of eight to a class of 600 and something. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of similar to when I made that change. It was a complete culture shock. And I think I did, you know, eventually get used to Philadelphia so much so that it seems weird now to not, you know, see people every day. Because even when I had my job last year, I didn't really hang out with the people who work there. It's like right. you weren't really supposed to be talking to anyone while you worked. So, I mean, you know, we would turn around and talk once in a while, give our eyes a break from the screen and everything. But there were very few groups of people there that hung out with each other. Right. And that was really it. So I was there and I mean... A couple of Drexel kids moved out to L.A. Mm -hmm. Kat and Emily both moved out there. But it's like, you know, they have their own thing going on. So you're not going to see them all the time. And I wasn't exactly in the L.A. area. I was in the Valley. Right. So still getting to L.A. even for shows during the week was just something I didn't really want to do because... Right. It's like, all right, so I go to a show by the time I get back and, you know, shower and get in bed. It's well after midnight and I have to be up at 630 to get to work by eight, you know, so it's like. Yeah, perpetual state of, you know, non-motion. 
Yeah, and I mean, in Philly, with that music scene, it's like you could walk over to your friend's house and there would be a show in the basement. Or yeah. you could you could take the subway, which, you know, there's no traffic on the subway. Sometimes there's just a lot of people, but you're not going to get stuck in traffic like, you know, L.A. or dry, trying to drive through New York or Philly. So I feel like the, the way the scene is in Philadelphia made it a lot easier to kind of just spend a lot of your time going to shows and hanging out with people. And everything felt so much closer than it does out here, you know? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a huge function of the way that, you know, California is set up in a lot of ways, and especially a lot of, like, the cities like L.A. And, you know, Philly's still got its, it, Philly's still a very weird city in how, you know, large, Philadelphia is so much larger than people realize. Like, yeah. you, know, you, uh, you, you start driving out of Philly, and you're like, okay, so I've left Philly, and your phone's like, nope, you're still in Philadelphia. Well, like, no, we're, like, outside. No, you're still literally in Philadelphia. The name of this town has not changed. You're not even in, like, East Philly, you're still in Philly. Yeah, I think the fact that the neighborhoods are named in Philadelphia really confuses people because, right. you know, we were over in University City, that's where Drexel was, and I know you were living over by Rittenhouse, and it's like, you ha- kind of have to explain to people that, all right, so Rittenhouse is the nice part of Philly, you yeah. know, then you have, like, University City where Drexel and Penn are, and then you have North Philly, which might just want to stay away from there, (laughs) you know, and you have all these things. And it's a lot different than it is here. I mean, LA is similar as in there are multiple neighborhood names. Like, you could put in Los Angeles and really it would be, you know, like Hollywood or something. But if you put Los Angeles, if you're like mailing something out, it'll still get to the right part of Los right. Angeles, whether or not you've specified, you know, like Hollywood, West Hollywood, this and that and that sort of thing. And I mean, there is still a distinct difference between Los Angeles and Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But it's so minute that most people just say L.A. and it's like, you know what they mean. Right, right. Yeah. And I feel like unless you're in Hollywood and like right by where all of the venues are. It's really not that similar to Philadelphia unless you live within walking distance of these places, which then you also have to afford to live in walking distance of these places. Because I know you and I, we both kind of enjoyed living pretty much by ourselves instead of with a ton of roommates. Because I know your situation in Philly before getting your nice little one bedroom apartment or studio, whatever it was, you were living with what, eight other guys in a house? Eight other guys, six other guys, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And to me, that's just like, yes, it's nice to be around people, but it's also nice to not have to worry about whether or not someone else is going to clean up their own messes, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, it was definitely a, a different experience. And, you know, and, and the, you know, the five years that I was in Philly, like, you know, it really evolved for me and kind of changed how the whole dynamic kind of worked out. So, but yeah, it's, it's a, Philly is a different you know, it's a very interesting music scene. And, you know, in the kind of the years that we were there, I know like that a lot of people kind of, the first couple of years I was in Philly, a lot of people kind of were like, eh, Philly's all right. Cause it was kind of the end of the Brooklyn era. Right. Um, and, you know, Philly's kind of cemented itself in this weird spot that only Philly could have kind of being like, yeah, we don't ever want to be a big deal, but we also don't ever want to not be a big deal. Yeah. Like Philly doesn't want, Philadelphia music scene does not want Brooklyn hipsters 24-7. <laughs> right. The Philadelphia music scene does want to be appreciated. And so there's a lot of moments where the Philly scene is very, you know, very tight within itself and very inclusive of everyone in it and aggressively kind of like self-polices that like, no, don't get too big for your britches. Like, don't, don't go crazy. But like at the same time, if you're really good, we do want you to get really good. Like, right? It's it's um, it's it's a very weird. I haven't found another music scene quite like it. But every DIY scene that I kind of interact with wants to be like Philly. Yeah, I feel like Philly is a lot more welcoming to bands than say LA or New York would be, just because of the fact that it's such a tight knit 
scene there. You know, you have the Electric Factory, the TLA, you have friends putting on basement shows, which I know a huge part of that is, you know, music industry Drexel students doing that. And that's kind of where some of these bands, and I mean, you and I both saw it with Modern Baseball. That's really where they got their start was being students, well, most of them being students at Drexel and playing in sweaty basements and kind of taking it step by step and moving up from there and sort of becoming this big band from Philly now. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, the thing that, the thing that Philly has done really well, I mean, really this, when I, when I think of the Philly scene, I just focus on the basement shows and stuff. Cause um, you know, I used to run one of the spice, the spaces in Philly and there, there was always that idea of like the bands that did well performed well, like, right. you know, like even in a, sh- even through a shitty, you know, PA system, I mean, you kind of learn to perform well. Um, yeah. There's a real, value to playing good music through crap um and <laughs> and having to because the people there always know what's good and what isn't like it's tight if they, you know any band that's actually tight is going to sound good no matter what like there's that part of it um that just kind of like it locks together and you're like these guys got it i have no idea what they're singing and i can't really pull apart like the bass line from the guitar in this space but i know they've got it and there was always, and like you, could, it was great to see bands evolve because they'd realize that no one really got it. And then when they realized they needed to practice more and like get it together, and then all of a sudden they come back and play your basement again, you'd be like, "Oh, you practiced and you got it together. Like you know what you're doing now, and everyone's with it. Like there's that groove, there's that feeling, and understanding that like you can lock people into something even because you know when you're at a loud concert, like sometimes you don't even know what they're singing." And, right. but the best bands are the ones that just have that like acknowledgement of we're just going to be so fucking tight that at a certain point, you're just going to like feel it no matter what, um, if you know it or not. And yeah, and, and the Philly scene has been, you know, a really good, you know, place for people to kind of, you know, grow up as musicians safely. Um, I think, you know, to have bad shows, to have good shows, um, cause a bad band and a good band sound almost the same in a basement. Right. But a good band is that like gold star on top of the like the noise. Um you know, and the bad bands rarely sound too much worse because it, you can't really tell if they're good or bad. <laughs> um but uh yeah, it's it's um Philly's Philly's a pretty unique space, I feel like. Um you know, I'm sure a lot of music scenes think that they're just as unique and I don't you know, disparage them for that, but there's something, I, I know every band that I know that comes through Philly and plays shows in Philly just loves coming back. That's yeah. just what they want to be a part of. Um, it's crazy. Definitely. And being in Maine now, what kind of do you do when you want to go see bands? I mean, personally, now that I'm back in California, really, I only check the California dates to see if people are coming through here. So I've never really paid much attention to whether or not bands really hit Maine. I know, you know, obviously, they'll go up through Boston, Connecticut sometimes and hit those states. But how is it being a music industry major and being in Maine doing something completely different right now? Uh, there's there, there's no young bands that come up this way unless they're somehow got on a really big tour. Right. And even like mid-sized bands, uh, mid like or like mid-sized touring acts like like Frightened Rabbit, for example, just played or will be playing their first show ever in the state of Maine. Right. Like in a week or two. Um, and We've got a few venues. We've got a new outdoor space that's really cool, Thompson's Point, um, right outside, right in Portland, and um, and we, there's some good, you know, little venues around here, and there's some good small local bands that I've, you know, I've listened to and stuff. But uh, it's definitely out of the way. Like if you think about the tour routing, um, it's obnoxious. Um, you're still about two hours north of Boston. There's not much in between there. Um, you would want to come over from, like, the, the closest by, as the crow flies place, would be 
going up to play um, Burlington, Vermont. Okay. Um, but you would have to do – that's still a four-hour drive from Portland because the highway that you would take to get there, you actually have to drive south and then drive north again. So it's kind of obnoxious. Yeah, so you have a different kind of obnoxious with you know bands just not hitting anywhere remotely close to you, so you have to drive these – long hours to get to shows but with me you know I'm down in Orange County and a lot of people who don't live here don't really understand the hassle that it is to go from Orange County to LA for shows during the week because you know most shows doors open at what seven or eight so you figure you have to leave right during rush hour and -hmm. head into LA which heading into LA might not be quite as bad as heading out of LA at that hour because you know a lot of people will live in Orange County or live in Riverside and commute into LA yeah and that sort of thing just because it's cheaper to live on the outskirts than it is to you know try and find a house or something in LA Hollywood area but I kind of you know just say no to a lot of press passes for shows that are during the week just because you know I don't want to spend two or three hours driving to and from a show and just sit in rush hour and waste gas on my car more so right now because I don't have a steady job so to me that's kind of not the best way to spend my money by you know having to get gas every time I want to go to a show in LA or something and I mean I'm driving a few hours to get to taste of chaos which Mm -hmm. is coming through here on the 16th and that i feel a little more okay with one because it's on a saturday and two because it's an all afternoon thing like i believe Mm -hmm. doors open at two o'clock and i'm sure it'll go on until 10 or 11 and i only paid like 20 dollars for the ticket and on a saturday you know you won't hit that traffic and i'll probably you know get to my friend's house to pick her and another friend up in the time that it would take me to get to a show in LA that's actually closer if you look at it by the mileage. So it's kind of hard. I mean, obviously a lot of bands do come through Orange County because we have the observatory here, Chain Reaction, there's a House of Blues by Disneyland. So bands will come through here and that makes it a lot easier. Some bands will even play, you know, both LA and Anaheim, depending on you know, that whole fun radius clause thing that we had to learn about. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But do you find yourself kind of wishing Maine had a better scene just so you could go to more shows? Like I know you and I both did in Philly. Yeah. I mean, I'm really, really busy right now. So I kind of don't realize it. Uh, Right. So the, the challenge I think is really for bands is like, um, you know, you want your, you don't want to be going out of your way. You don't want to be doing it three hour drive out and back, um, unless that show is really worth it. Um, right. I think there's a lot of payoff people to come to Portland, but the challenge is that there's, there's no, you go, if you did like Boston, then Portland to do the next three hour leg you're probably doing four plus hours to get to Burlington because if you went back to Boston, you can't play Boston. Right. You just played Boston. Um, so that's a challenge. And so a lot of times for like the, you know, the more touring acts, it's a pain in the butt because it really puts a ton of hours on the day. And then there's not a really, uh, drive through Portland to get to Montreal. There's not the fastest route to Montreal is through Burlington. Right. So you're better off just driving from Boston straight to Burlington and, or, you know, somewhere in New Hampshire, I mean, and go straight through and do that because it's a much more direct path up to Canada than it is to, like, try to hit Portland as well. I mean, you're essentially, there's a, it's a lot, there's, just like there's a bad assumption about, you know, people in Orange County that will come out to L.A. shows there's a bad assumption in the Northeast that all of these towns have, you know, good highway access. I mean, there's no right. essentially, there's one highway and it's vertical. There's no horizontal highways across the upper Northeast. So it's really high, hard to cross the state quickly. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, and it's tough because, you know, I, I've been really into, um, you know, bands like Pine Grove, um, Julian Baker, and, um, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of Frightened Rabbit, and they put a new record out this year, and I've been able to see any of them live. Um, and, you know, we're talking, those are three different levels of touring right now right. Um, that none of them have, is there, for none of them is their value. And even on a higher level, none of there is their value for them really to come up this far north this out of the way and understandably like you know from my perspective i go oh that really sucks but i totally understand it like i like, i'm not <laughs> i'm not questioning why like it makes complete sense but it does suck when you're you know just consuming media at this point yeah so when you're not super busy with work and everything what do you do over in Maine. I know personally, when I think of Maine, I just automatically think of Stephen King because oh, I don't, good. I can't really name too many other people from Maine. And when I heard, you know, you were up there, I was like, I kind of wonder what he does when he's not working because I'm not familiar with the state and it's not, you know, an area like Philly or Boston or that sort of thing where things are really close to you. Um, well, I'm five, five minute drive outside of. Portland. So I'm like, I'm right over the bridge, um, in Falmouth. Um, and so I can come right into Portland. Portland's a really good small city. Okay. Um, I mostly, um, you know, I'm, I'm busy on the weekends too and stuff, but mostly, most of the time I was to do, there's a bunch of really good breweries in the area. I'll do that when Courtney's up, um, a few other things like that. Um, there's great running trails in the area and, you know, places to do that kind of stuff. Um, in the winter, I've been playing um, hockey with a few friends of mine. And um, other than that, more than anything else, I've got a back porch and it's sunny out. And so a lot of times I'll just read outside and relax. Um, you know, it's a little bit different than what I would do in a city, but not much. I mean, the only difference in a city would be that I might be going to a coffee shop to read instead of sitting on my back porch. Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's that whole being an adult thing where you go on the weekends, well, I got, you know, three hours of errands to run and I got to get those done. And then by the time I'm done with that, I kind of want to do nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So you're kind of like, shit, I should do something. But you also go, wait, I really don't want to do a thing. Um, so I don't know. Um, but Maine has a ton of really good, um, like fantastic uh, state parks. Um, there's, you know, I'm right on the ocean, so I can go to the beach. I can do, you know, go on the boat. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. So um, there's more to do here, but it's just definitely different than living in um, a bigger city um, where those kinds of things are, you know, going to coffee shops and you know, shows and all that kind of stuff. It's just a different kind of mix of life. Yeah. So did you know people when you initially decided to take the job in Maine and move there? I know you said your parents have, you know, their retirement house basically there. And that's yeah. basically your house watching that <laughs> house. <sitting>. Yeah. <laughs> um, not really. No, um, I didn't really know anyone up here. I just kind of went and, and, and winged it. Um, you know, it was a good opportunity. Yeah, I, I didn't, um, which I probably, you know, should have thought more about, but I kind of didn't because I was in the middle of a pretty lengthy job search and at a certain point, you're kind of like, well, I guess this is happening. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, last year for me, it's kind of like I applied to quite a few places. And as you know, music industry jobs are pretty hard to come by, mm -hmm. especially, you know, entry level jobs that will actually pay you because a lot of places just want interns and that sort of thing which you yeah. know you and I both had to do as a requirement at Drexel so it was a little frustrating looking for a job and seeing a bunch of places that just want unpaid interns and so essentially what I did was I took the first job that you know even interviewed me and offered me a job because I was not hearing back from anyone else and right. I did have a friend at this job it was someone i had met when i was interning at fearless so basically he put in the recommendation for me and that's more than likely how i got the interview nice. so you know it's definitely about who you know and that's why you know it's been since the end of december since i've quit that job and here it is july now and although i've still been applying to places it's like 
they get so many resumes and I feel like a lot of times with music industry companies they probably get a lot of resumes from people who have no clue what exactly they're getting into or don't have really any experience so I feel like it's very easy for other resumes like yours or mine to kind of get buried in that and it makes it a lot harder to get these jobs especially if you don't know someone and especially if you're like me and you don't want to be doing necessarily like the administrative work but you actually want to be doing something that focuses on the music itself yeah it's tough because i think there's there's like the balance between pay your dues and um asking someone to do something that is really not using their talents effectively right because it's 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 a tough balance because I, I completely understand the idea of saying, well, guess what? I don't know if I even like you as a person and want to be working with you every day and respect your ideas because so much of this, that, that the business is, you know, do I respect your opinions? Right. Um, and so, you know, kind of as like that life advice for it is there, there is the balance of pay your dues and, make sure that, you know, the company is the reason why we have interns in, in a lot of these jobs is not just because we want the cheap labor. I mean, mostly that's what it is. Um, but it's also this idea of I'm relying on your, you as a human being to be a good judge of what good art and culture is. Right. And partially I want to surround myself with people that are, um, that agree with me because more of you, you always want people to agree with you, but you also want people surrounding you that I know that when I disagree with you, I disagree with you for a good reason. Um, and there's some people that are just disagreeable, not because they're disagreeable with everyone because they're disagreeable with you. And there's a difference between, between being someone you disagree with and being disagreeable. Right. Um, that I think a lot of the, the kind of pay your dues thing, especially in entertainment has a lot to do with um, that kind of sniff test of being like, am I if if I have to make a judgment call on what I'm you know what band I'm going to sign or what band I'm going to put my efforts into, and I ask you, are you someone that I actually want you know to live and die by the sword with? You know, are you the person that I really want you know to help me make a judgment call? And ultimately, in entertainment stuff, that doesn't come down to you know, do I trust your ability to add two plus two? It's do right. I trust that you aren't going to give me a bad answer? Like you're going to actually think about this, that when you listen to a record, you're not just listening to and going, I think this is really catchy. You're going, I think this is catchy and I think they can keep doing that. And I think that they can keep performing as well as they can. And I've seen them live and I know that they're good live. And I know that they can get better and I know that they have more in the tank. And that's, you know the real challenge of all this stuff is do you trust the person sitting across the room from you? And that's not something you get in one interview. You right. know, that's not something you get in, even in a basic job interview, you don't get that. That's after a year or two, you actually build that trust up, which is a good, bad thing. It sucks and it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, my frustration mainly has been, like I said, the whole internship thing because personally since my senior year of high school I've now done four different internships and they were all music based and they were you know completely different I mean I went to Fearless twice but I did two different things there I was at a recording studio in high school and then I worked with a music tech tech company and I'm still working with Cumulus now mm -hmm. you know kind of a couple hours a week basically it's nothing crazy so it's like, you know, most of those things are on my resume. I did street teaming for both Fearless and Fueled by Ramen before I even had my internships at Fearless. So it's like, I feel like I've put in all this time and effort to not leave college and be offered internships, especially unpaid ones. Yeah. No, it is tough, and it's it's definitely weird to be in the situation of going, like, I understand that a lot of people go, like, great, you went to school for this, but can you do it? Because I think that that's definitely right. something that I interact with where I know that there were, you know, people we went to school with that you'd go, 
you've went, gone to all these classes, done all these things, and I still don't believe that you know what you're doing. Like, you know, that's a thing. That's a, that was a thing that, that happened. And, um, but then there's also people you go, I know you're super capable and it's insane that you don't have a job doing what you're doing and that no one's noticed that you're insanely capable. And right. there's, and so I think it's kind of like, I, I look at it and I go trying to be a little bit optimistic about it. In some ways I go, there are people who don't notice how incapable people are and people who don't notice how capable people are. And it's probably for the same reason is that it's really hard to notice that because really capable people don't always stand out because the job just gets done. <laughs> you know, whatever right. needs to get done just happens and really not capable people, you know, get lucky a lot and stumble along and, the people in the middle are the ones that get noticed because they're the ones that have the most growth, you know, the most potential to grow. Because, you know, they get things done, they might screw up here and there, but they're still good. And then when they start getting better and better, you go, oh, wow, they're getting better and better. Right. People that are already capable a lot of times kind of filter out because you go like, well, they're already really capable. And they know what they're doing. They're great. And so cool. You know, they do the job. Great. That's awesome. You don't have to worry about them. You have to talk to them. You don't have to interact with them. Sometimes it can be a real... You know, it can be a real struggle when you're when you're really good at what you do. There are times where that doesn't get noticed for better or for worse. Yeah, and I feel like that's somewhat the reason in college I started Hi-Fi Noise, my website, and Wreck-It Records was what I started as my senior project there. And I've really wanted to keep these things going. And that's, you know, what I'm spending the majority of my time working on now because I feel like even if it's something I'm more so doing for myself just so I know I do know how to do these things. I'm fine with that right now, but I really would like for some of this to pay off in some capacity, right. hopefully sooner than later, you know? And I mean, I know you're at a company that has absolutely nothing to do with music and I'm lucky enough to be in the position where I was able to move back home and kind of focus on these things. I know I've said this probably a lot on this podcast by now, but the music industry was never an easy industry to get into. And I think all of us going into Drexel knew that. And I feel like there are actually a lot of us who aren't exactly doing stuff in music right now. I know at least quite a few people from my major aren't. And so it really just depends on if you hit up the right people at the right time and they're like hey we see you can do this and we happen to need someone who can do this you know yeah it's weird because i also think that you know the way it was always described to me and um you know was this is a train and at some what happens is that some people time over time people just get off and some people get lucky and they get to stay on the train and it's easier for them. They get to sit in a comfortable seat. But but there's at a certain point, like, you know, you know, very honestly, I've, I've gotten off the train, you know, like I'm I'm doing other stuff. And right. Um, and a large part of that is not because I couldn't get a job doing it. It was more because I, I've decided that uh, I didn't enjoy most of the times that I was trying to make money doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hating it. Um, because I was having so much more fun doing the projects that were things I really cared about, the people I really cared about and not worrying about, and I also, they were more successful and I wasn't as worried about, oh crap, but I also need to make sure they pay me my 10%. Right. Um, and, and though the projects that I wanted to be doing, and I was also, and never mind wanting to be doing, but was, I felt that I was actually good at were the ones that couldn't pay me my 10%. Right. And. And I was being, I was helping making them really successful, but I wasn't going to be making any money for myself. And so that, that and so I think at a certain point, I realized that I'm going to be doing anything in this industry. I want to do it on my own terms and not have it be the thing that I feel like I have to make cash. You know, like right. I need you to pay me my 10% tomorrow because, you know, otherwise I can't do this. Cause I just don't think that, I don't think you make good art that way. I don't think that, you know, easily. And I also don't think that it's, you know, it's right for me. Um, and, but there is a challenge of, of going, 
you know, with anything like this, like any pursuit like this, how long should I stay on the train, you know, before it, it kind of is going to just chew me up? Like, how long should I stay here and keep, you know, digging it out before I say, maybe this isn't for me. And ultimately, it's just perseverance. I mean, I think more than anything else, the challenge is, is fucking perseverance. And if this is what you want to do, saying, I'm going to put up the shit, I'm going to deal with the shit. I'm going to accept it. That's part of the process. And one of these days, someone else is going to have to do my shit because I'm going to be moving up. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I want to wrap this up and get an idea of what you've been really enjoying this year as far as music releases. I know you mentioned Pine Grove, Fright and Rabbit, and that sort of thing earlier. But even though you aren't in the business, really... What have you been enjoying? Uh, yeah, Pine Grove's the big one. I can't, I can't say enough about how fantastic Cardinal is and all of their stuff. Like people yeah. should be listening to their entire catalog um, there, and really should be listening to their live stuff. I can't. I, the Audio Tree live session they just did is really special. Um, Audio Tree does a fantastic job with getting the recordings. Um, there's just there's something really cool about um, the songwriting approach um, right. with them. Um, I, like Cadmium is a really cool song in the way that it builds. It almost feels like it's two separate songs. Um, and the first couple times you listen to Cadmium, for example, like you, you, I always feel like the first couple times I listened to it that I was hitting this point where I was like. Oh, cool! There's this first part of the song. I think that I think what it was is that there was a section of Cadmium on um, an interview they had done for like one of like you know one of the college radio stations, like one of the online radio stations, and Cadmium was a part. They had only put a part of it in, and then they faded it out to go back into an interview. So you lost the 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 middle the end of the, the opening, like, verse. Um, so there wasn't the um, the transition to where it, it picks up into the, the second half of the song. And so it kind of felt like these very distinct songs that happened to be similar, like similar theme. And it was just wild to me that they somehow had pulled that together. Um, also the fact that they used the word sublimate in the song, which I think is just brilliant. Um that alone will make me happy. Um, but yeah, I think that's, if you aren't listening to, if, if you're one of the few people who hasn't listened to Pine Grove now, like you need to go listen to Pine Grove. Um, other than that, um, I was kind of disappointed with the most recent Frightened Rabbit record. Um, I don't hate it. I think it's got some good stuff on it. I am, I'm disappointed with it, but I'm okay with it because I think that it's the right next step for them as a band. Like this record is kind of like, letting them kind of branch out stylistically. They work with like the national and some of that kind of stuff. And okay. there's a little bit more like you can tell where the band's trending and I think it's good, but I think there's some parts of it that I'm like, yeah, but you know, the choruses aren't as dynamic as they used to be. And there's some parts that just don't feel like they fit. Right. Um, and then, and then I've been really, 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 really stoked with um, uh, Julian Baker. Um, which I don't know if her stuff was this year or not, but I think it was. And Julian Baker's incredible. Yeah, I finally I finally listened to Sprained Ankle, and it was amazing. But it's really an album that you have to kind of sit down and take the time with. It's not, you know, uh, put this on in the background and kind of get things done, you know? So yeah. it's definitely one you need to spend time with. Yeah, and I, I think that there's there's kind of... It's it's really I think it's fun. The most fun about fun part of Julian Baker is is seeing a video of her, and it's that um, she's got kind of um, and I, I don't I know this is always a bad thing to say um, this Danny she's kind of got a little bit of a Haley Williams aesthetic to her voice at times. Um, like the way she chooses to belt um, some of the, some of the notes is this like 
like very early Paramore. Like have you ever heard like very early Paramore demos? Right. The way she, the way the Haley Williams used to belt, um, and it's, and it's totally a, I used to go to church, and I was there. I was in one of those churches with like you know young like kids music, and I would be the really impassioned female singer. Like there's totally that vibe there. You can totally hear it. And I don't know any other way to describe it than that, because that's what Haley Williams came from, and same thing with her, with Julian Baker, and there's that kind of, that powerhouse, but to see her visually, she's a very small human being, just blasting out this stuff, and the way that she kind of carries herself is really, it's exactly what you expect her to be like, and also everything you hope her to be, because she's still a little bit, like... She's so excited about the fact that she's doing this and that she's sharing something. Right. And I just, I really enjoy her, more than anything, her passion about the fact that she understands that she has something to say. Yeah. And I think a lot of young musicians who start doing a lot of touring um, feel like they've, they hit a block where like no one's listening to what they're trying to say. They're just kind of playing songs every night. And she seems to still have this intensity to going, I know I, I have a platform now. I have a way to say something that means something. And I wrote a record that says all these things that I'm feeling. And I want to make sure that every night when someone experiences this feeling that I'm having, that I'm not, you know, belittling their, their time and their, right. their money and their effort to be here. Um, and I think that's really nice because that's what I want to see out of more musicians is that like respect for your own art, essentially. Like I think she really respects the record she made. Um, and because of that, she's able to every night kind of come out and like really perform it, you know, completely and fully because she knows that she believes what she's talking about and she cares about it. So definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this last minute podcast with me. Absolutely. I think it turned out pretty well. So I think, you know, I'll, I'll keep you in mind as a backup guest. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you to our listeners. And as always, enjoy the rest of your day.